Win stacks of cash by entering the 150K Crack the Code giveaway. Brought to you by your local paper, now through July 14th. Look for the code on page A2. Then visit 150kgiveaway.com and submit your entry. You could win the grand prize of $100,000. Grab the paper every day. Get the code on page 2A and improve your chances to win tons of weekly cash prizes. Visit 150kgiveaway.com for details. From the feature staff at the Columbus Dispatch, this is Life in the 614. Hi, and welcome to Life in the 614, the official lifestyle podcast of the Features Department at the Columbus Dispatch, coming to you every week. If it sounds like fun, we'll be talking about it. I'm Ryan Smith, Features Editor at the Dispatch, and I'm revved up for a great show. Maybe that's because the Good Guys PPG Nationals Auto Show is taking place this weekend at the Ohio Expo Center, starting Friday and going through Sunday. Get your motor running, because this year the show that attracts 50,000 guests is celebrating the ultimate muscle car, the 69 Chevy Camaro. Also, be sure to check the forecast, because I think you'll find that everyone's calling for fair weather. That's right, it's time again for the Franklin County Fair, which opens Saturday and closes July 20th at the fairgrounds in Hilliard. There will be pig racing and more fried food than you can shake a fried Twinkie at, I promise. Movie lovers can also enjoy a special retro night at the Ohio Theater on Friday when Fritz the Night Owl Perenboom will host a screening of Jaws. It's part of the Kappa Summer Movie Series and will include plenty of onstage annex from the former WBNS TV host. But today, I'd like to spend some time talking about something that takes me back to my youth. It's the Jim Henson Imagination Unlimited exhibit going on right now at COSI Columbus through September 2nd. The exhibition shows how Henson and his team of collaborators brought to life characters like Big Bird, Kermit the Frog, and many others. Joining me to discuss it all is Henson fangirl Elise Lorbach, the project manager at COSI who brought the exhibit to town. And now let's get things started. Why don't you get things started? It's time to get things started on, on the, the most, most sensational, sensational, inspirational, celebrational Muppet. This is what we call Life in the 614. Thanks for joining us today, Elise. Oh, it's my pleasure. We're really excited to have you on the show today. Maybe a good place to begin is, for those who haven't been, I was just at the exhibit this past weekend with my family, but for those who haven't been there, what's it like? Take us on a walk through what the exhibition is like. Oh, I would love to. So the full long title of the exhibition is the Jim Henson Exhibition, Imagination Unlimited, and it explores the ridiculously prolific and amazing life and career of Jim Henson. And I noticed that many adults tend to know who Jim Henson is more than maybe some of the younger people, but Jim Henson is the creative mind behind things that you know, like the Muppets and Fraggle Rock and the amazing 80s movies like Labyrinth and The Dark Crystal. But a lot of kids will probably know some of his best work is Sesame Street. Sesame Street has such a long past. It's multi-generational. So as you walk through the exhibition, you're going to see different components of his life and the work that he did, especially learning new things, such as the fact that he did a lot of commercial work in the late 50s and the early 60s. So you're going to see some of the original puppets from the commercials that he did then, including this really fantastic characters called Wilkins and Wonkins. And it was for Wilkins Coffee. And I don't know if these commercials would fly now, but in the coffee, in the commercials, Wilkins will ask Wilkins, do you like Wilkins Coffee? And Wil- Wilkins will say, no, I do not. And then Wilkins will blow him up, hit him with a hammer, <laughs> shoot him with a gun. So, but very creative and very funny. And then as you sort of move through each of the decades of his life, you see work that you're familiar with, but also maybe work you didn't realize he had as well. 
And what are some of the interactive elements of it? There was some fun stuff that we had a chance to do while we were there. Oh, that's great. I'm so glad you guys enjoyed it. Yes. So there are a couple interactives that are very much tied to the type of work that Jim Henson did. And the very first one you're going to encounter is sort of the camera setup that Jim Henson sort of pioneered in order to be able to make his Muppets and his puppets look as lifelike as possible. So typically, if you were working puppets on a stage, you're next to your person that you're doing the show with, and you can only really see the puppets from behind and below. Or if you're across from each other, you might be able to see each other. But in order to get that sort of lifelike interaction, because it's not so much just how the puppets move, but it's how they interact with each other that's important, they used a camera system where they would have a camera pointed at their puppets up above their heads, and then they had a monitor down below so they could watch themselves essentially on TV to be able to make these characters come to life as much as possible. So we have a setup like that in the exhibition. You can actually take puppets and you can sit down with friends and family and you can do a puppet show on the camera and it'll even play it back to you, which is really cool. So you're able to interact with each other in a way that typically puppeteers had never done before. And you get to make your own puppet too if you want, right? Yes. Your own Muppet. Yes, your own Muppet. So one of the cool things, if you ever watch the Muppet show or Muppet movies or even Sesame Street, there's sometimes a lot of background character Muppets and you don't always want to have to build a, a Muppet from scratch. You want to be able to sort of use the resources you have. That can be very labor intensive to create new characters. So the Muppet form is available to people in the exhibition and you can take different hair, different eyes, different noses, and you can create your own Muppet and sort of screen test it to make sure that the eyes are looking directly at the camera because that's, again, what really helps them make look so lifelike. And it was really amazing to see some of the examples of what you're talking about there of these all-purpose Muppets in the different ways that he had used the same one. I mean, one of them, you know, he's got these people in the background. He's got several of them who look totally different. And then they use the same one to be like a bunny, I think. Right. One of them. It's like, how right. do you take this guy and make it into a bunny? But he did. My wife and I loved the exhibit. Loved it. I'm so um, glad. And my kids... I would say liked the exhibit. They loved the interactive parts and they were, again, like you said, learning about some of the things that they didn't know about before. Who's your target audience Mm. for something like this? So that's a really great question because anytime you sort of harken back into, we'll say, quote unquote, the olden days, right? You're going to have people who are familiar with that work from the time that they were growing up. And then you're going to have people who are just not familiar with it at all because it either didn't have the longevity maybe that some other things do, like Sesame Street, which started in the early 60s. And Sesame Street still runs today. So those characters bridge multi-generations. You know, your grandparents probably were familiar with Sesame Street. Your parents are familiar with Sesame Street. Your kids might be familiar with Sesame Street. Maybe not so much as like my generation millennials growing up in the 80s and 90s. Sesame Street was very prevalent in my household. I have to admit, I was so depressed when my one kid talked about Oscar the Trash King. <gasps> like, dude. <sighs> See, this is a fantastic. This is a I'm fantastic. I'm a failure as a parent for that. This is a fantastic exhibit to bring your kids to to educate them <laughs> properly. If they don't know who these characters are, you have a responsibility to to bring them to Kosai this summer and make sure that they understand who these characters are. <laughs> but it is, it's a real, I mean, it's a—it's weird to use real in this way, but I think it's a real exhibition in that way. I mean, it's very educational. Mm-hmm. It's the kind of thing that you could see, not just at a kid's museum or at a science museum, but that you could see at any real right. significant museum. Right, and I mean, Kosai isn't just for kids. You know, we, we really believe science is for everyone. And the idea is that we want to provide content, interesting educational opportunities and experiences that are going to span generations. We want the family group to come and everybody's going to find something. And that's one of the reasons we really like this exhibition, because again, even if you've never maybe seen the Muppets, almost every single person can culturally identify who Kermit the Frog is. Kermit is one of those characters that spans time, he spans space, he's international star. And so even if you don't, you've got this sort of emotional pull to something because everybody knows who he is. And the exhibit gives you an opportunity to dig deeper. Like, what is his story? And then it's an opportunity for parents to share with their kids. You know, this is what mom and dad or grandma and grandpa loved when they were your age, because 
because I think that it's a really great connection piece. You're able to, you know, your kids love whatever shows are popular now, right? We'll say Paw Patrol, for example. And Paw Patrol, you know, is more of a recent iteration of some, you know, new characters. Whereas you've got the Muppets who everybody can recognize because they've had such staying power. And I think that that is the first part of learning is being able to have that emotional connection with your friends and family to start a conversation. And then it sort of opens up the world for you to want to know more. It sort of sparks curiosity and imagination. So you mentioned Kermit the Frog, and we actually happen to have him here as a guest we in do. studio. He's sitting right over by Patrick, our web producer. Not the real Kermit. No. Unfortunately, he's still in a glass case over at Coastside. <laughs> Kermit's as real as you make him. <laughs> he, every Kermit is the real Kermit to, to somebody. <laughs> but can you tell us a little bit about his evolution? I mean, yeah. I, there was a whole lot there that I didn't realize. It's not like Kermit just appeared in the no. form that we know him today. He did not. So yeah, so Kermit is one of the first characters you see walking into this exhibition, and that's very much intentional because Jim Henson always very much identified with Kermit. It was one of the first sort of characters that he created that was going to have that kind of staying power where everyone was going to recognize him. And he also believed that Kermit was sort of an extension of himself, and literally and physically, right? Because his arm was in Kermit the Frog. But also he always joked that Kermit was sort of like the stage manager that kind of tried to keep all the crazies together, and that's not unlike what Jim Henson had to do with all of his amazing colleagues that he worked with over the years. So the first thing you see is Kermit, and again, because it's associated with Jim, it was one of the characters he created originally for a show called Sam and Friends many, many, many decades ago. And Kermit always kind of had that voice because Jim's voice is very distinct. And if you listen to one of the things that I learned during this exhibition, if you listen to all the different characters that Jim has done over the years, even though they're different voices, you sense that underlying Jim Henson-ness to it. And so Kermit started in Sam and Friends and he was just enough of a popular character that as time went on, Jim sort of brought Kermit along with him. And he became sort of the face of the Muppets and he did some work with Sesame Street. Some of the Muppet characters that you know from the Muppet show actually started out either with Sesame Street or in earlier iterations. He did a lot of talk shows where he would bring characters that, like Rolf, for example, is a great example of another. Yeah, he's another great example of something that started not intentionally to be a Muppet or to be, you know, friends with Kermit, but they end up being good friends, you know, within the canon throughout the years. So Kermit's got a lot of staying power, which I think is amazing. And Jim really loved him. And how would you define Muppet? Like, what is a Muppet? Where'd that word come from? That's a great question. It actually means media puppet. Ah. And again, I one of the, my, the cool things about my job is that I don't necessarily know any of these things before an exhibit comes to COSI, and it's my job to become a content expert in that particular thing. And so I got to do a lot of research. I got to watch a lot of YouTube clips at work, which was amazing. <laughs> and um, one of the things I learned very early on, because where does that word come from? And people think maybe it means, a lot of people think it means man puppet, but it actually means media puppet. And so these were the first sort of group of puppets that were created specifically for media and not for a stage. So that could be TV, that could be commercials, that could be movies. And that's where the name came from. But it is trademarked. So there are no other Muppets outside of the Muppets that currently exist or are created by certain companies. Do you have a favorite Muppet? It's like a favorite child. (laughs) I think Kermit the Frog really resonates with me as well. As a project manager, I spend a lot of time sort of wrangling all the craziness and the chaos that goes on around me. So in that sense, I really identify with Kermit and with Jim Henson. But man, do I love Beaker and Bunsen. Um, (laughs) Again, they're the science puppets, right? The science Muppets. They are always doing crazy experiments. And the fact that Beaker looks nothing like any sort of human you would identify with, but he's got the crazy hair and he talks with just the me, 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 me. And I just think that's something so endearing about that because even with those characteristics, you still can identify his emotions. You can identify what he's sort of saying to his counterparts. And I think that there's something really magical about that kind of art when it doesn't sound anything like human language, but you can still get that essence of what he's trying to communicate. You mentioned some of the technical innovations Mm. that Henson had made. Were there any others as far as the actual 
Muppets themselves as puppets and puppeteering? Mm. Or was it mostly in the way of, of bringing them to media? That's a good question. I think it's a little bit of both. He certainly took original puppetry techniques and he had read some of these like books that had been written a long time ago about stage puppetry to learn how to be a puppeteer in the first place. So a lot of the things that you see where you've got, you know, sort of the the hand and rod puppet where you have the hand inside the puppet manipulating the mouth and then the rod is manipulating one or both of the arms. That's pretty normal for puppetry. So that was something he was able to sort of take and move it to the next level. I think it's just mostly improvements. I mean, again, that sort of technology piece where you've got the camera up above you and you've got the monitor to look at was very much a Jim Henson thing and that now is you know sort of what the industry standard is if you're going to be doing puppets on any sort of like media whether it's TV or or movies I think it was really just taking this art form that has very a long, long history and turning it into something that was consumable by media and he was coming of age in his like career at the same time that TV was extraordinarily becoming popular and everyone was getting a TV and then of course movies you know as they advance his puppeteering advanced um, one of the cool things you can see in the exhibition if you're watching the I think it's the great is it the great Muppet Caper where they're on the bicycles. Yes. Yes. The great. So you're watching the movie The Great Muppet Caper, and there's a scene where Miss Piggy and Kermit are doing this really like sort of bicycling through the park. Oh, that's such and a cool yes. part of the exhibit. And they're singing, and then of course the whole gang joins in, and they're all biking. So how do you make puppets? literally take a bicycle across a parkway and this entire clip explains how they did that and it's just an incredible piece of art and science sort of married together because you have to have this problem that you're trying to solve and you have to be creative enough to you know be able to make it look lifelike and to make it look you know realistic enough that people are going to buy that these puppets are actually riding but they're just pieces of felt that we're moving in a variety of different ways and I don't want to spoil it you have to come to the exhibit to actually find out how they do this amazing technology but it's just such a cool little piece you don't think about when you're watching something like a movie. The best part of the video that shows you about how they did that is that the first one is they show a segment and, you know, it explains how complicated it is and it shows you exactly how they do it. And then they show another sequence with Miss Piggy and Kermit and they're like, yeah, that one was so complicated. There's no way like we could possibly explain how it worked. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Sometimes I think even with science and the arts, you don't always realize how you got to the end. (laughs) There's a little bit of magic. It's a little bit of magic. Yeah. So everyone associates Henson with Muppets, Mm -hmm. puppets, that sort of thing. But he wasn't just limited to that. And I was really surprised to see the short film that he made that has nothing to do with Muppets or Puppets. Are you talking uh, about Timepiece? Yes. Oh, I love Talk time about that. <laughs> so, and if you're going through, again, sort of the decades of his life, you know, in the late 50s, early 60s, he's working on all of the commercials and things with puppets, but he also thought of himself as an artist, as a filmmaker artist. So there's a section of the exhibition that focuses on pretty much the 60s, early 70s, the work that he did that had nothing to do with puppets at all. One of the surprising things I learned immediately when I was researching this exhibition was that he tried to create a multimedia a nightclub in New York, which I think is very interesting, called Cyclia. And it never came to fruition for a variety of reasons, but there is some original concept art and projection work that he did to sort of get it started that's hanging so you can kind of see where his mind was going with that. And there's nothing to do with puppets, a nightclub, right? Like you would never associate that, but it was something creative and interesting that he wanted to do. And then there's a short film and there's clips of it in the exhibition, but I highly recommend if you haven't seen the whole thing, you go online and find it, called Timepiece. And it was this artistic film that Jim Henson directed and wrote and starred in talking about sort of the passage of time and how his character was trying to escape time. And it's got all these sort of, as a millennial, I might be completely off base here, but I just feel like it looks very 60s-esque in the way that they sort of cut together the pieces and there's like all this sort of magical stuff happening to his character and the music and the sound, everything.
thing reminds me very much of what I sort of generalize or stereotype as the <laughs> 60s. But it's so fascinating because it's just Jim doing himself, which you never really get to see Jim being himself when you're looking at all of these Muppets. And sometimes you would see him on talk shows and he was there, but he would really speak through his puppets. But in this particular film, it is just Jim and it is him doing, you know, the work that he found artistic and exciting at the time. And it's just such a cool thing that most people don't know when they come see this exhibit. What was Jim Henson the person like? Well, I wish I could say I knew him. <laughs> one of the cool things that I got to do, I got to meet one of his longtime colleagues, Bonnie Erickson. She actually travels with the exhibit and she does a lot of the puppet posing and making sure that the puppets are represented in the correct way. So she actually came to Cosi and she's best known for her work. She created and designed Miss Piggy and Statler and Waldorf, the old cranky Muppet men. And so she came to Cosi and she's, she knew Jim for a lot of his life. And so it was fun to listen to her stories, to see sort of Jim through her eyes because, you know, he passed away in 1990 and especially my generation we didn't get to grow up seeing him on talk shows or see him actually acting and working. We only got to see the stuff he did before. So being able to talk to a close friend of his and someone who worked alongside of him for a very long time was really impactful. And she said that, you know, Jim was very much himself all the time. You know, when you saw Jim Henson on TV, that wasn't him acting. That was him being genuinely himself. He was very kind. He was very funny. He was a hard worker. And I think that comes through in his work. But it's nice to have that validated by somebody that knew him off screen. Now, he was also a collaborator with Frank Oz, who I think most people may know better as Yoda. Yeah. Um, what was that collaboration between the two of them like? That's a good question. It runs very deep. You start seeing Frank Oz popping up in a lot of this, the work that he did with Sesame Street. The two of them, once they kind of clicked and hit it off, did a lot of work together. A lot of people don't realize that Miss Piggy was, the Miss Piggy we know of today was voiced by Frank Oz. But I think that sometimes you just find those people in your life that, you know, you bounce ideas off of or you have a, such a great rapport with and you're able to sort of go back and forth and create this magic that you can't really define or sort of pre-identify in somebody until you start to work with them. And it seems like that's just their relationship. You know, the characters that they created together had such charisma. A lot of the Muppets that you see or Sesame Street characters you see started with the t just the two of them talking to each other. Bert and Ernie is a great example. Bert and Ernie was created by Jim Henson and they were, it was brought to life by Jim Henson and Frank Oz. And they always just had such this fun rapport bouncing off each other with the way that their voices interacted with the puppets and the way the puppets interacted. And it just was magic. And I think they identified that very early on and continue to explore that relationship through their careers. You mentioned that Henson died some time ago at mm -hmm. a young age, relatively. How has his legacy been carried forward? Well, he married someone who was into puppetry, Jane Hudson, and so the two of them worked very closely together for a long time, and that also got all of their children involved in puppetry. So all of his kids are in some capacity involved with his foundation. Um, they will help, you know, fund the arts. Brian Henson, his son, did a lot of work with him in the 80s on movies like Labyrinth and the Dark Crystal, and still to this day directs and speaks and does a lot of artistic work in, in media. One of the things that, as a kid of the 90s, I remember seeing in theaters was Muppet Treasure Island, and Muppet Treasure Island was the first like big Muppet thing done after Jim Henson's death and that was directed by his son Brian and I think you can see that it carries on because especially in the 90s I knew who Jim Henson was but I didn't see a difference between that work with Muppet Treasure Island and the work that had been done pre-Jim Henson's death so you can see that the legacy was carried on I think the characters at that point had such staying power that the characters became their own entity outside of Jim and he had put so much you know life and, and essence into them that people were able to carry on that work to keep those characters alive and I'm sad that he 
he didn't get to continue doing different work because I think he would have done so much more. He was working in a lot of really cool animatronic projects at the time of his death, including Dinosaurs, if you remember that show. I do. And the original live action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. So who knows what he would have done, especially with the technology now. I can't even imagine what puppetry would look like with him still alive. But I think his children did a really good job of keeping his legacy alive in the form of this exhibition, um, which they all, you know, granted permission and worked on to put together, but also the media that they're still working on today. And it was interesting to see the jump from the television programs that he was involved with Mm -hmm. over the years to movies, like you mentioned, Muppet Treasure Island. Was there a reason that he decided that he needed to make that jump and you have a favorite? Oh my goodness. I don't know if there was a reason. Maybe. Other than it was just another opportunity? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, for him, television was how he got a start, but I think that, and this is just me speculating, that movies being such a powerful entity in themselves, especially when you think about the movies that came out in the late 70s and 80s, the fantasy, science fiction movies that were really big at the time, maybe it just felt like a natural progression. But I will say that my favorite section in the exhibition, as well as sort of my favorite grouping of his work, is definitely his movies in the 80s, The Dark Crystal and Labyrinth. What fantastic creative endeavors. The Dark Crystal was the very first all puppet movie that had ever been done. Nobody had ever done anything like that before. You know, they had done, you know, sort of the Muppet movies in the 70s, which had live action people and Muppets. But this was the first time that an entire world, even down to the bugs that were crawling around in the grass, were all puppetry. So that was an incredible realization when I got to learn about that. And I had seen Dark Crystal, you know, as a kid. But you see these things with such new eyes after you sort of look at the behind the scenes aspect and you learn sort of how these things came to be. So now watching Dark Crystal again after this exhibition, it just leaves you in awe because you cannot believe that all of these puppets have somebody, you know, working them and they had to, they did such amazing things with just such limited technology at the time. And I think that's what really is impressive to Kosai as a science center that he used all of this technology to create this just magical, beautiful art that had such staying power. Labyrinth also, I think, is a favorite. I know that, so we hosted sort of a staff screening and that was the most popular one. A lot of my colleagues grew up with Labyrinth and were very excited to uh, be able to watch it again and, and sort of learn more about the behind the scenes making of it. So, I would say that, man, between Dark Crystal and Labyrinth, I love them both equally for different reasons, but his work in the 80s movies world was just unparalleled. Now, isn't Netflix coming up with a new Dark Crystal? Yeah. That's Are you I super hear. psyched? Oh, I'm, I'm super psyched. I mean, I have a lot of personal bias for this exhibition because growing up with his work, like, I loved Henson's everything. I loved his movies. I loved the Muppets. I loved Sesame Street, even as a little child. So I happen to be biased and think that anything related to any of these characters is super cool. But I'm really excited to see what they do because they are bringing puppetry back. It's not just all CGI. There's some CGI in there. But I think that that art of puppetry, especially the way that Jim Henson sort of pioneered it, is an art that can be used even with all the technological advances we have moving into the future. So I'm excited to see what they do with this medium. Excellent. Well, I'm excited that we still have the exhibition here. It runs through September 2nd at COSI. Maybe you could take us out with an impression of one of your favorite characters? Oh my gosh. Yeah, let's see. I'll try a couple. I'm a big fan of Beaker, as I said, and that's probably the easiest one. Me, 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 me. I don't know if I can do this. This is hysterical. Let's see. Kermit the Frog. Well, you have to do one too. Can you do one with me? Or will you do one so we can go back and forth? Sure. Do an impression. Can I be Cookie Monster? Yeah, be Cookie Monster. My wife's GPS is now Cookie Monster right now. So it's. You are now at destination. Oh, that, nom, was, nom, nom. that was really good. Thank you. That was very good. I've never tried Kermit, but I'm going to try it and just see what happens. Heidi ho, neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, and then you got this. Can you do the Swedish chef? Should we try that one? Sure. See, you've got a you've got a male voice, so I think that lends itself to more of the male characters. Maybe a little Grover or Miss oh, Piggy. I can do Miss Piggy. I can do sure. Hi! Uh, that might be all I got. I'm trying to think what other characters I could even... Gonzo? He's the toughest. Oh, he's really tough. Yeah. Scooter? I wouldn't even know. 
Scooter just kind of has a normal voice. He's got a stage manager voice. So me talking now is my Scooter impression. <laughs> I think we're good. I think that's good. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, this it's was my, excellent. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And thank you all for listening to Life in the 614. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Google Play Music. We hope to have you back next week. Until then, keep enjoying your own life in the 614.